Welcome to Trending Health, where we provide you with valuable insights and perspectives on the evolving healthcare industry. Brought to you by Vynamic, Trending Health features industry guests and panelists who explore topics that are real, relevant, and worth discussing. I'm your host, Mindy McGrath, Vynamic's healthcare industry advisor. On this episode, we're looking at the topic of why healthy culture and well-being matters. Employee well-being and healthy culture is continuing to garner the commitment and the attention of organizations, and we wanted to address it today. To help us dive into this topic, Dr. Heather Farley, Chief Wellness Officer at Christiana Care Health System, is joining us to discuss why healthy culture and well-being matter. In her role as Chief Wellness Officer, Dr. Farley oversees the organizational strategy to advance the professional fulfillment and well-being of Christiana Care caregivers. She leads advocacy programs and initiatives aimed at optimizing the caregiver experience and fostering an organizational culture of well-being. She also continues to oversee the direction and activities of the Center for Provider Well-Being. Hi, Dr. Farley. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us today. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, Dr. Farley. I'm going to start with a few questions, if you don't mind. Um, you have a very special role at Christiana Care. Um, could you tell us a little bit about it as your role as Chief Wellness Officer? Absolutely. So the Chief Wellness Officer role is new for our organization. So very exciting that I was able to uh, be their first Chief Wellness Officer. Um, we're seeing more and more Chief Wellness Officers appointed in health systems across the country as we're collectively beginning to recognize the value that that role brings uh, to an organization and all of the downstream effects that that has. And I think we're going to get into a little bit of uh, all of the the work that uh, a chief wellness officer oversees and how important that is, I think, as our discussion evolves this morning. Yeah, sure. And from our perspective, it's actually uh, a role that we have rarely seen. So we're very excited to talk to you. When we say a culture of health and well-being and that it matters to an organization, could you kind of specifically dive into that a little bit? So I I think that we're beginning to recognize that health systems are particularly high-risk environments in which to work. And we know that because we see that healthcare providers have higher rates of both physical and mental suffering than the patients that we treat. And so we're beginning to understand, and Christiana specifically understood that the well-being of our clinicians was a critical success factor for us to be able to deliver on our organization's mission. And uh, we also know that there's a clearly established link between clinician well-being and quality of care and patient experience. All of that has been well described in the literature. We also know that distressed clinicians are more likely to leave an organization, right? And, and that leads, of course, to significant turnover costs. And so burnout and a lack of professional fulfillment in medicine has far-reaching implications. And collectively, that's a really strong argument and call to action from a moral, ethical, and financial perspective. Honestly, and most importantly for me and our organization, however, we were stunned by the disturbing statistics that are out there around clinician burnout and particularly suicide. And we care deeply about our physicians and our caregivers in general, about their overall well-being and about the experience that they have when they're working in our health system. 
And that's really uh, the value proposition for the Center for Provider Wellbeing and why we established the center in 2016. Uh, and that was, um, you know, it was back before it was a fully established center. Uh, it was really myself and uh, a like-minded psychologist that was in our health system, Dr. Vanessa Downing. And the two of us kind of were beginning to understand uh, what was going on nationally and locally. And uh, it really was a burning platform for us to establish and grow the center. It's, it's quite fascinating. You know, the layers of value that you just kind of walked through is uh, really important. And you mentioned this Center for well, for Provider Wellbeing. I, I wonder if you could kind of tell us a little bit more about it and how you're codifying the center and embedding actual workflows around a topic to, to many actually seems more about feelings and less about something more tangible. That's a great observation. Um, well, in, in, to start out with, the, the center has a really cool mission. So our mission is to foster joy and meaning in work for providers and their teams. And you said that maybe it's more about feelings, um, and sometimes we get pushback on what is, what is this about joy in work, and uh, isn't that a little too mushy? But um, I think joy and meaning uh, has multiple layers that go deeper than it's not just about feeling happy. Um, and so that's, once you understand the complexity of what joy and meaning in work is, it becomes a little bit more clear uh, why we're, we're focusing on, on those entities. Um, and I think that our, our mission is to not just minimize distress, so just like health is not merely the absence of disease, so true joy and meaning in work is not, is, just, is not just the absence of burnout. So we actually want to create the conditions where our clinicians can truly flourish. To do that, we uh, espouse a three-pronged model of professional fulfillment that was actually first described by Stanford University. And those three prongs include personal resilience, a culture of wellness, and practice efficiency. And one of the principles underlying that three-pronged model uh, is, is kind of this analogy of the canary in the coal mine. And I like to say that you, you can't take the canary and teach it to be more resilient and stick it back in the same coal mine and expect it to survive. You actually have to change the coal mine. And so that's one of the really fundamental underlying principles of the work that we're doing is actually changing the environment around our caregivers. I want to make a quick point about terminology here. There's been a lot of energy in social media forums recently around uh, burnout versus moral injury. And there are concerns out there about maybe we shouldn't be talking about burnout because it's victim blaming. But I also want to encourage people to think a little bit more deeply about that. Um, and the, the labels that we choose to describe clinician distress are so variable. And it's really hard to get your brain wrapped around them all from burnout to moral injury, compassion fatigue, vicarious trauma. But regardless, at the end of the day, uh, the occupational suffering that is experienced by clinicians is largely precipitated by a dysfunctional work environment and not a failure of personal resilience. So it's not necessarily about that area, it's about that coal mine. And so our efforts to foster professional fulfillment and well-being should reflect that. And if you want to learn more about that, there's a, an article that uh, a few of my colleagues and I authored in uh, a recent New England Journal of Medicine Catalyst article that kind of goes through some of that terminology and approach. But um, that that'll, gives you a little bit of a taste of, of how we're approaching things. And I, we know that while we do need to bolster the resources that are available to support personal resilience, 
more importantly, we need to create a culture where it's normal and expected for us to acknowledge our humanity, uh, that we're, we're, not, uh, we're not superhuman just because we're in healthcare, that we have the same challenges, if not more challenges, than uh, someone who's not working in healthcare. And we need to recognize that and, um, and share our struggles with one another and our need for support during challenging times. And so one of the things that we've done at Christiana and in the center is to really uh, significantly improve the access to mental health resources for our clinicians. And we've partnered with an external vendor to make sure that our clinicians have confidential, free access to uh, mental health resources. We also have a resource liaison line uh, to help get our, our clinicians connected to internal and external resources. And similarly, we rolled out a clinician in distress guideline um, that helps to equip our clinicians to have meaningful conversations with their colleagues when they're concerned. So rather than just assuming that the person next to you is just having a bad day and you're really actually kind of concerned of what's going on of why they're, they're not acting themselves, but it's hard to have that conversation to say, hey, are you really okay? Um, and, uh, and then to know what to do if they're not. And so we created these guidelines to help equip our clinicians to have those conversations and also to ensure that the policies and the procedures are in place behind the scenes to maintain the dignity and privacy of the struggling clinicians. We've done, had a lot of uh, efforts, a multi-pronged approach to approve, uh, improve the awareness of mental health concerns and those support resources uh, in our organization, as well as to try to decrease the stigma around help-seeking behavior and to normalize distress. And through all those efforts, it's been very rewarding to see a doubling in our utilization of our uh, clinician EAP services and a steady increase in the use of our resource liaison line. So I think those things speak to how you can really change a culture to be one that's more uh Wow, Dr. Farley, thank you. Those are two really tangible results of some of the great work that you're doing. I wonder if you could tell us a little bit more about kind of the culture of well-being efforts that you've referenced. Happy to. So there are multiple programs that we have uh, going on right now to really improve the culture of well-being that surrounds our clinicians. And too many for me to, to talk about this morning, but I'd love to highlight a few of them and explain uh, how they actually do impact culture and uh, why they've been so successful. Um, I think one of the efforts that we've been focusing on is uh, creating forums for our clinicians to help them process the vicarious trauma that they're exposed to um, and some of the ethical and moral dilemmas that uh, they encounter. And so uh, a huge part of our efforts has been providing reflective rounds. And you may have also heard of Schwartz Center rounds. We have our own version of that as well as balanced groups. Uh, and those uh, really help our clinicians to reflect on what their experience has been like, both positive and negative, and, um, and to develop a mutual support system. Um, for our residents specifically, we have what we call ice cream rounds. So it's not just about eating ice cream, but uh, it does have a catchy ring to it. Um, and these are our quarterly resident-only supportive and reflective sessions. And the really interesting part and the really effective part, I think, is that they occur during their protected time. So during when they're already going to be in the health system, rather than asking them to come in on their off time for a wellness activity. 
But so during ice cream rounds, the residents are encouraged to really think deeply about the challenges and the opportunities that they encounter during their training experience and to share those experiences with each other. So again, another forum for our clinicians to process um, what they see and feel and are experiencing every day as healthcare providers and to develop a mutual support system. Another really cool uh, program that we have going on right now is called COMPASS, uh, and that stands for Everything Needs an Acronym, right? So <laughs> this one is uh, Clinician Organized Meetings to Promote and Sustain Satisfaction. And the COMPASS groups are small groups of providers who meet every two to three weeks for an hour over a meal. And that meal is partially subsidized by Christiana. Um, and they work through a curriculum uh, and that is uh, facilitated by a, a trained facilitator. And they have to talk about the topic at hand for the first 15 minutes. And then they can talk about their kids or golf or whatever they want to. Um, but ultimately, what generally happens is that the topic is so engaging that they spend the entirety of the time uh, talking about the, the assigned topic for the day. And we've gotten extremely positive feedback from these compass groups with uh, improvements in the sense of camaraderie and mutual support and a feeling of decreased isolation. Again, normalizing, oh my gosh, I'm struggling, but it's not just me. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm not cut out from medicine or that I'm weak just because I'm struggling with these issues. And um, it really has been a, a breakthrough in terms of forming relationships and support systems across disciplines in our organization. One other uh, really um, wonderful program that we have going on right now is OASIS. Uh, and again, that one stands for Opportunity to Achieve Staff Inspiration and Strength. Uh, and the OASIS program is targeted to a team of caregivers, so uh, within a given unit. So let's say we are uh, rolling out the OASIS project in the medical intensive care unit. It would touch everyone from the intensive care physician to the residents to uh, environmental services, respiratory therapy, nursing within that unit. And it's a multi-pronged team resilience effort, um, and part of what we offer through OASIS is uh, these bite-sized psychoeducation offerings that help you to understand how your brain works under stress and to train you up with coping skills. And it's not just about that personal resilience or that canary because you're doing it with your team. So it really is about that environment and, that, and the coal mine there. And the other parts of the OASIS project are significant um, efforts to improve team recognition and social support, capped with a, an opening of an OASIS room within that unit, which is the OASIS room uh, is not a break room. It's really reset space that has massage chairs and soft lighting and well-being resources. Um, and it's really meant as a place to reset reflect and restore after particularly difficult encounters. The one other project that I really wanted to highlight because it is probably one of my very favorites is the Thank You Project. Uh, the Thank You Project um, takes advantage of the fact that we have patients who are eager to come back and thank the caregivers who took care of them. And oftentimes in healthcare, we're moving so quickly and it just becomes, you know, it's just another day on the job. That doesn't mean we don't understand how, um, how important our jobs are, but we forget the impact that it has. And we oftentimes don't even know what the outcome is for some of our patients. Um, 
And so we bring these patients and families back to tell their stories and um, explain their experience to the actual caregivers who took care of them. And um, oftentimes these are patients who were um, really on the brink of death. uh, And it was the heroic efforts of a team of caregivers that enabled them to get back to their families. And so as you can imagine, this uh, thank you gathering is a very emotional experience. um, And usually uh, it is uh, tear-filled from the the point of view of the family as well as uh, the caregivers and anywhere from uh, the nursing staff that is there to the uh, most uh, stoic surgeon. Usually everyone ends up in tears. And you may say that that only touches maybe the 15 caregivers that we have there, but it is extraordinarily impactful for those 15. It really helps them to reconnect to why they do what they do. We remember why we went into medicine in the first place, and we understand that what we do, oh my gosh, that really matters. It's hard what we do, but we make a difference to our patients every day, and that meaning and work we can tap into when we're hitting a low point in the future. So that is one of my very favorite uh, projects. And I'd love to see more health systems uh, focused on that gratitude and appreciation part of their efforts. Well, that's great, Dr. Farley. Thank you for kind of reviewing all of those kind of multi-layered culture of well-being efforts. You mentioned that, you know, it may touch kind of a finite amount of people per effort, but I think the ripple effects are just amazing. And um, I wonder if you could take a few minutes and talk a little bit more about the kind of the system-wide and programmatic efforts to improve practice efficiency for our clinicians. Because we know, you know, with all the multiple uh, inefficiencies that, that clinicians deal with, this is an important piece of burnout and well-being as well. Thank you for calling attention to that, Ryan. You are absolutely correct that we cannot underestimate the impact that practice efficiency and practice efficacy has on our clinicians' well-being. And we know that the administrative burden that our clinicians are facing is a huge contributor to burnout. So uh, there are multiple uh, efforts afoot within our organization to address uh, practice efficiency for our clinicians. We've definitely made a commitment to that that is uh, codified in our compact with our clinicians, that that is something that we are committed to doing and to helping them work at the top of their license. So I think it's actually making that statement and putting it uh, in paper uh, or online that you have committed to improving that for your clinicians is an important first step, but it obviously cannot stop there. And so some of the efforts that we are undergoing at Christiana include a uh, EHR user experience task force. We know that the challenges with Uh, The EHR are definitely a contributor to clinician dissatisfaction, and so there's uh, a multidisciplinary effort um, ongoing in our health system to improve our clinicians' um, experience with the EHR, including at-the-elbow support, as well as actual optimization of the um, software itself, as well as hardware maintenance. So that's... um, user experience uh, task force has been an important uh, component of our efforts. We also um, have in the primary care space have been uh, shifting to a team lit model, which um, 
helps to offload uh, some of the administrative burdens on our primary care physicians and make the responsibility for that inbox management, for example, uh, a team uh, responsibility rather than just falling on the shoulders of the clinician. Um, in addition, uh, we have are conducting what we call hot spotting efforts. Um, we go into an area that has uh, higher levels of burnout, lower levels of professional fulfillment, and we'll uh, conduct focus groups there to help identify what the local drivers of dissatisfaction are. And oftentimes they are uh, revolving around some of these inefficiencies of practice. And then we co-create with the leaders in that area an action plan moving forward for how to move the needle in the right direction. So a lot of efforts around uh, around that component, as well as we're trying to uh, weave in some human factors uh, analysis and workspace uh, scanning uh, to help us with that as well. And finally, which you are very, very familiar with, our Making Tomorrow Happen efforts, and this is our, um, our new operating system for our health system. Um, and it's our continuous improvement journey that uh, is kicking off within Christiana currently. We know that uh, our work brings us our greatest joy when we're able to create an exceptional experience for our patients, for our community, and for each other. And a key to our success is identifying and solving problems that reduce our, our ability to do that and our effectiveness. And so making tomorrow happen is that continuous improvement journey that uh, gives us the processes and tools to remove those barriers that get in the way of us providing that exceptional experience. And making tomorrow happen directly addresses practice efficiency, and I think we'll will most certainly contribute to improving the well-being of our caregivers and our clinicians. Yeah, that's fantastic. You know, the the team's ability to kind of respond to both inherent and external issues, especially around administrative burdens, is is going to be key. So we're excited to to be with you on that journey. <clears throat> I'm going to channel my, my colleague, Mindy, on the last question, and we ask a lot of our podcast guests this, this one final question, and it's, what's one thing that you would want other healthcare industry leaders to know, Dr. Foley? I think I'm going to bring it back full circle, and if there is one thing that I could emphasize, and if anyone listening to this, if you remember nothing else, remember that the answer for an organization in terms of uh, your clinician's well-being is not telling clinicians to be more resilient. That's not the answer. You can't tell them to meditate, eat better, sleep better, and exercise, and they will be more well. Yes, we all have a personal and professional responsibility to practice self-care, but our clinicians are already some of the most resilient people on the planet. And so trying to make the most resilient people on the planet more resilient is not where the money is. Going back to that canary in the coal mine analogy, uh, trying to make the canary more resilient is not the answer. The answer is in the coal mine, in bolstering the support systems, both from a cultural and a workload efficiency of practice perspective, bolstering those support systems that surround our clinicians. And that is where the money is. Uh, and so that's what I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast who is interested in doing this work. Uh, that's where I would, uh, I would direct you to focus your efforts. Thank you. Uh, it's a great, great capstone answer for this really important topic. And, and we could talk about it for much longer. Um, there's so many questions and comments that I have. And so uh, we, may, we may have to speak to you again about this 
extremely important topic around uh, clinician well-being and clinician burnout. So thank you, Dr. Farley, for your time. We really appreciate it, and we look forward to talking again. That was a really awesome conversation with Dr. Farley. And to recap what we heard, I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Hummel, Provider Sector Advisor. Hi, everybody. And our Vynamic colleagues, Lauren Scandone, who's an executive at Vynamic. Good morning. And Mike Ricciardi, who's also an executive at Vynamic. Hello. And Melissa Marsili, who is Vynamic's Health and Care Lead. Hi, everyone. So team, I don't know about you, but I could have listened to the interview between Ryan and Dr. Farley um, a lot longer. She had a lot of, I think, really interesting insight. I personally was really struck about the way that Dr. Farley spoke about the concept of well-being and healthy culture and how much broader she kind of takes a view of, of that topic in particular. I mean, she was using words like joy and fulfillment and what I noticed are really significant efforts on her part to create environments or spaces where there is a lot of togetherness among people and safe places for building trust and really restorative type of practices. I'm curious, from your perspective, what are some of the things that stood out to you in this interview? Mindy, yeah, I thought it was great. One of the things that stuck out to me was when, when many times when you're trying to transform a culture or a group, it, the con conventional wisdom tells you to kind of do this big bang idea that there's just one size fits all. And clearly that's not what Dr. Farley is doing. She mentioned several programs and very personalized approaches to address this really, you know, tenuous situation with clinicians. And I found it interesting. It's, it, it's a lot more work to do it that way. But I also think that ultimately when you meet physicians, clinicians, nurses, where they are, personally, you get better results. Yeah, I would agree with you, Ryan. I think uh, there were two things that stuck out. Number one, the uniqueness, um, because one size never will fit all in any culture, any company. Uh, and when you try to kind of just pick up, lift, and insert into another company, you'll find a lot of resistance there. And I think that it's showing that she's doing going about this in a very natural way um, in a very unique way based off of what the needs are of her team. I think I also found a lot around the trying to find a, a better meaning or a purpose in going to work every day because it is something a lot of studies will show you that now more than ever, people need to be connected with their job. They need to have that purpose and that, that meaning of why they get, they get up every morning. And I think that it's just an amazing testament to the work that she's doing, that she's trying to connect both those things, both purpose, but in a very unique and meaningful way for her teams. Yeah, Lauren, those are great um, observations. I think the two things that stuck out to me were um, how Dr. Farley talked about that joy is not only the absence of burnout, which I think that a lot of teams or cultures are looking to just prevent that like worst case scenario when really there's so much work to be done to ensure that the team is having a joyful and fulfilling experience. And also the canary in the coal mine example, um, that just really rung true for me in terms of thinking about environments and the things we do um, maybe broadening them and not just applying them to one situation or environment and really like the whole um, organizational space. Yeah, so Melissa, I think that's a good point. The whole um, 
canary in the coal mine issue. And, and Lauren, you talked to this idea of purpose. And that was another compelling point, I think, that uh, Dr. Farley made about really enhancing and strengthening culture, one conversation and one activity at a time. And the other thing I thought that she layered in, which was interesting to me, is like reminding people like part of why we do this, right, is to deliver on our organizational mission. Now, she was very focused on clinician well-being. Um, but I think when you listened to what she was talking about holistically, there was a lot of transferability to the practices, the philosophies, and the, um, I think the things that she is putting in place at Christiana Care that could be transferred into other organizations or other functions. Um, in particular, I thought one of the ones that stood out to me was this whole idea of the thank you project and connecting, to your point, connecting why we do what we do and injecting purpose. Um, so I'm wondering what your thoughts were on, on just this idea of how you tr take what Dr. Farley is talking about that is very specific to her um, organization and its transferability to maybe other sectors, other organizations within healthcare. I think that that two-way street mentality is kind of really universal across industries. Uh, Mindy, I think it was a really good point. You know, when we talk about her focus on clinicians, <clears throat> ultimately, you hear if you go downstream, the outcome becomes a better patient experience as well. And then that thank you project that you alluded to talks about patients coming back and thanking their clinicians. So there's this kind of... Um, dynamic way that we're dialoguing, and I think it is, is, is a win-win because it's going to affect um, the patient experience, and it also is going to help mitigate this clinician burnout and understand what that, what that purpose of the clinicians are doing. And I think that can be said about any industry, whether it's patients or clients, this two-way communication. Yeah, Ryan, I think I, uh, that really spoke to me in a lot of ways, and especially from the fact that burnout is prevalent everywhere. It's not just a physician um, issue that is happening. So I think about even in life sciences, um, working specifically within product launches. I had a client once who I worked on two very different and distinct product launches in two different franchises. One of the teams was very much focused on the patient. What is their product going to do to deliver better outcomes for the patient and was really focused around how much they're going to change those patients' lives based off of everything versus more of a standard process of milestones to get to the, the end goal of getting and delivering that product. And the results that you saw across those two different teams in the exact same company was markedly different. The people who are really focused on that greater purpose of changing people's lives for the better versus the ones who are focused more on how do we get this product out the door. Lauren, that was a great point. Um, from my perspective, what I really picked up on from Dr. Farley was that idea of creating safe spaces in your organization where um, team members are allowed to share vulnerability. Um, I think there's a lot of research and programming at various organizations that address the idea of building trust through transparency. That's definitely something that we're invested in at Dynamic, and we encourage our team members to um, bring their whole selves to work. And that doesn't mean just the super resilient part of you. It's, it's all those parts that make you the amazing team member that you are. And creating those safe spaces at work, um, I think, leads to people maybe not feeling that burnout as much because they don't... Um, 
they don't feel like they have to hide a part of themselves at their job. Yeah, what we're not saying, and I think what Dr. Farley was not saying, is we're we're not getting away from some of the fundamental pieces of well-being, which is physical activity, right? right? Still encouraging things like getting steps in, getting a good night's sleep, eating properly, doing biometric screenings. I mean, those are all fundamental parts of um, what used to be like original health and well-being programs. I think what, what we've heard, right, and what we've talked about and seen uh, across the industry is that um, there is definitely just a much more expansive view in what a healthy culture actually looks like. It's not just the physical part, but it's the spiritual, it's the mental part as well. And that's where I think the conversation is really pivoted because that seems to be the harder area to get people engaged is to be in these safe spa- spaces and really showcase like things that had typically been you know, private, um, but feel safe enough to be able to communicate those things and help your colleagues work through them together. Yeah, Mindy, I think that's a great point, and that's exactly it. It's not, um, you know, bringing these other aspects of a wellness initiative into focus is not diminishing, um, you know, right nutrition or getting enough sleep or exercising. But I think what it's saying is that um, those can't be the only areas of focus. That's kind of what Dr. Farley was talking about with the canary in the coal mine example, right? Is if you, if a team member has a great um, nutrition and exercise regimen but is working Um, you know, double the hours they should per week, that team member is not going to be completely healthy and well. There's this longstanding culture that uh, physicians know everything Mm -hmm. and they, whether they're interacting with uh, other physicians or they're interacting with nurses, nurse practitioners, operation leaders, administrators, there is this pressure on them to know everything. And I think the conventional wisdom tells us that it's it's this this kind of... I'm not speaking it well, but what I think that, that this program does, it creates vulnerability for physicians so that there's a psychological safety across the ecosystem of a health system so that they can be, have real dialogues with folks outside of the physician's sphere and make better decisions, which, which ultimately will save patients' lives and eliminate errors. I want to pivot a little bit from Dr. Farley and just talk about healthy culture and well-being in general. And ask a very, what seems like it probably could be a very simple question with a very complex answer. But why do you think having a healthy culture is important to an organization? Yeah, Mindy, I'll I'll take a crack at that one. Um, You know, I think healthy culture is so important because I kind of build it on what what Lauren was talking about earlier. Having a healthy culture allows kind of the the team members to connect to, I think, a larger purpose, right? So it's not just coming in and, and doing the tasks you got to do every day, but but seeing how those tasks are are related and linking up to kind of an overall strategy or purpose uh, around the organization, I think allows the team member to feel a lot more connected, not only to the work they're doing, but the team members that they're working with as well. Um, and I, I think kind of provides that overall sense or a greater sense of well-being. Yeah, I I tend to agree completely with Mike. I think that your culture is the heartbeat of your company. It's your purpose and your meaning for doing what you do. If your culture is not healthy and you don't have that heartbeat, you pretty much effectively die, for lack of a better description of it. So I think that more now today than in any other um, day in the past, it's we need that heartbeat. We need to understand 
and really connect with each other and understand how each and every single one of us is bringing our A game to make the organization better and the world better as a result. Yeah, I definitely agree that um, the healthy culture is the heartbeat of an organization. And I think that one of the most important aspects of a healthy culture is to really define it. So I think that for um, team members of any organization to really buy in and embed something, it has to be really well defined. So that could be, um, you know, pulling in all those aspects of exercise, fitness, sleep, transparency, having safe spaces to talk through issues at work, um, you know, having strong company values. If you take all of those things to create your healthy culture, then it'll be much more meaningful and um, embedded in your organization than if, you know, just like a walking challenge or a gym reimbursement. Yeah. I I would actually take it one step further of not just well-defined, but every single person, including leadership, needs to be fully bought in and they need to live it every single day. I I think this is such great dialogue. I think that maybe another aspect of that is also enabling folks to interpret it in their own personal way. And I think Dr. Farley does a great job by rolling out a lot of different programs so that if I'm a clinician and I interpret the culture this way, I can choose to, to... to take part in uh, one specific um, area or, or area of help that she's providing. And I think Dynamic does a great job of that as well. So, you know, we have a very defined culture, but there are hundreds of folks here that, that define it in their own way and live it out in their own personal way that gives them joy. Yeah, and I would just add it. I think that um, having a healthy culture also has an impact on ter- turnover, which we know costs companies just bottom line, costs them money, time, resource, and General healthcare costs. I mean, we have seen studies coming out that suggest that the less toxicity that is in an organizational environment, the less likely you are to have people calling out sick, right? They're more productive at work because they actually want to be there. So I think there's some like really practical aspects of healthy culture too um, that go, you know, beyond what we just talked about today. Um, The question I wonder about is when you think about promoting healthy cultures, are there things that can be done through subtraction? And so like I'm thinking specifically, and I'm going to make this personal with Dynamic, but specifically around the Z-mail policy um, that we're using. Or are there things that, that can be done to promote a healthy culture where you're organizing the way you work differently? What are your thoughts on that? So yeah, I, I think one of the things, one of the additions by subtractions here, uh, definitely from my experience uh, across many different clients is I would say the focus on meetings and and refocusing attention to uh, thinking through how to best use everybody's time most efficiently. Um, I think too often there's so many meetings on the books. um, You know, it's like your full eight hour day is eight hours full of meetings and there's not really enough time to think or process. What what I would challenge the the group with here and kind of our, our team with is how can we streamline that down to the eight hours of meetings down to four hours of meetings, being really strategic about who's in which meetings, getting the most out of each meeting. Again, for the purpose of giving people time um, outside of those meetings to actually do work, to think through stuff, um, and to approach their day a little bit more efficiently. And I've got to think there's like an energizing aspect to it as well. Like if you can give people time back so they can get their work done in the, the hours that they're allotted, right? There's an aspect of of the 
you know, energizing the time that is spent together in meetings, as well as the time that they're able to walk away from the meeting and know what they need to get done. I couldn't agree with you more. So Michael Arn, I want to get to this idea of promoting healthy cultures, because I know you've been doing some work with um, within the industry around this. And I'm curious from your perspective, are there specific characteristics that stand out to you that you say, this is an organization that's more likely to be successful because they've adopted or they have these types of characteristics about them? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in first. You know, I, I think the, the, the biggest lesson learned here from my perspective would be, I think that intent is probably greater than tactics, that an organization's focus on their own culture in and of itself is probably more impactful than oftentimes than, than the tactics they put in place to kind of enhance their culture, if that makes sense. Mike, that's that's an interesting point. And I, I would argue that that's probably a polarizing point, the idea that intent is greater than tactics. I'm guessing that that's a difficult hill to climb when talking to clients that may be so used to a stepwise approach to anything to get things done. So uh, I find that fascinating. I don't disagree. I just am thinking that's probably a very difficult challenge. Um, yeah, it, it can be a challenge. What I'd say is that it, it probably flows into my, my, my second point here, which is you know, if, if intent is greater than tactics, I also think the team culture needs to be created by the team. You know, so I think oftentimes um, when we see like a top-down approach where a culture is kind of pushed down on the team, uh, that doesn't oftentimes work out all that well. Um, what I think is key is that the team has input into what the values are, what the what the strategic objectives are of the team, that you get that buy-in right from kind of the, the jump. Um, and again, that type of buy-in has all types of real positive downstream effects and impacts uh, as that new culture is being kind of developed. And I think you speak to a really important point, right, is that it doesn't have to start at the top. We have seen organizations start within functions and divisions in their organization of trying to create and define what healthy culture means to them and then see almost like a cascading effect throughout the rest of the organization. So I think that's another aspect that sometimes people forget is that it doesn't always have to be at an executive level. Sometimes you can start from a grassroots and grow up from there. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Trending Health. For links to resources discussed in this episode, to subscribe to the Trending Health Podcast, and to explore if Dynamic can help your company manage ongoing healthcare industry change, visit TrendingHealth.com. Tune in to the next episode, where we look forward to providing you with more insights on the healthcare industry.